Lord, we thank you for the chance to come and and grow in your word together. We pray that your spirit would, would move in power, that you would teach us, that you would challenge us, that you would encourage us, that we would recognize your love for us throughout this text, Lord. And, and you would just get across to uh, each of us wh- whatever message you have for us as, as individuals and as a body, uh, as a whole. Lord, so we love you and, and we thank you. In your name, amen. Uh, real quick, if you don't have a Bible today, I just want to get a Bible in your hand. So if you could just raise your hand real quick. Uh, I'm going to have uh, Matthew pass out Bibles. If everybody does have a Bible, great. If you don't, just put your hand up and we can get you a Bible. And yeah, we've got one over here. Um, this is just so you can follow along with me so that you can see what I'm communicating uh, is here in the Word of God. All right. So, got a question for you. Have you ever been invited to a wedding that you didn't want to attend? Okay, yeah, (laughs) right? Uh, And this could be for different reasons, right? It could be a travel thing. The wedding's in another country or across the state, and it's just an inconvenience. It could be a financial thing. I don't want to have to buy the new dress or the new suit or whatever the situation may be. Maybe uh, it's the wedding gift. That's another financial issue. Uh, It could simply be you don't like the bride or the groom. Maybe it's just one of them, or you don't agree with the wedding. We can have so many reasons why we wouldn't attend a particular wedding. Now, maybe it was this. Though those people might be close to you, and though this might be a once-in-a-lifetime experience for them, you had something else to do. You were busy. You had work. It was a schedule conflict. See, in this text... Jesus is going to address this specific topic. He's going to address the invitation of the king to the kingdom, if you will. And he's going to communicate to these religious leaders through a parable that ultimately they've rejected the king's invitation, which is the title of this teaching, Rejecting the King's Invitation. Rejecting the King's Invitation. There we go. Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> Before we dive into the text real quick, uh, just to bring you back, it's been a while since we've been here and, and, and I was gone. Uh, but if you remember, helps with uh, context to know where we've been, to understand where we're going. Uh, in Matthew chapter 21, the religious leaders approached Jesus and they questioned his authority, right? And instead of Jesus just flat out saying, I am the son of God, I am the authority, he communicated to them on a creative level through the form of parables, right? And he communicated three parables to him. This is the third of those three. And these parables basically are communicating that they've rejected the king of the kingdom. In doing so, they've rejected the kingdom. They've rejected the messengers. They've rejected the message. And now we're going to see they reject the invitation. Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. This certain king in this context is God the Father. God the Father, he arranges this marriage for his son. Now, in that culture and still today, a marriage is one of, if not the most significant 
things a person ever experiences, right? So being invited to a wedding is a big deal. It's not like a birthday that happens once a year. This is a once in a lifetime opportunity. So we see this king, he arranges this marriage for his son. Now think about this. How much effort and energy goes into planning a wedding? Okay, Has anyone ever planned a wedding in here? Or been part of planning one, right? Usually, I mean, for me, my wife did most of the planning. Um, I, I did a little bit, but she did most of it. And planning a wedding can be extremely stressful. Why? There's so much that goes into planning a wedding. You got to choose the venue where you're going to have it. You got to choose the, the, the pastor or the speaker who's going to do the wedding for you. You have to choose the wedding gown. You have to choose what the bridal party is going to wear. You have to choose the decor, the centerpieces, the food. All these different details go into planning a wedding. But the details are important. Why? Because when you plan your wedding, you want your wedding to be perfect. Right? And God the Father, it was no different. He arranged a perfect wedding for God the Son. Now this wedding has been planned since the beginning of time. And we'll see it play out in the end of time. If you will with me, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. This is right at the end Of the seven year tribulation, we see in verse seven, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. And to her, it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God. See, at the end of time, after the tribulation, we're going to see this marriage supper that happens between who? Jesus Christ and his bride. The church is referred to in Ephesians chapter 5 as the bride of Christ. We're actually going to experience this wedding feast with the Lord. And this wedding feast, like I said, it's been planned since the beginning of time. It was God's perfect plan all along. If you would with me, Matthew chapter 22, verse 3. So he arranges the marriage for his son and sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding and they were not willing to come. Now, in context, the servants are likely either or perhaps both either a representation of the Holy Spirit and how God sends the Holy Spirit to draw people in that they might recognize their need for a savior, their need for a son. This also Comparing it to the other parables, very well may be the prophets that have been sent out throughout history to proclaim messages to the people, to invite them into the grace of God, if you will. And it could be really a combination of both. The Holy Spirit working through the prophets to bring this message of salvation to the people, to all humanity. And I want us to think about this. He sends these servants to invite these specific people. Now, when you invite someone to a wedding, you don't just invite anyone, right? You invite your friends, you invite your family members, you invite the people closest to you. You invite the people that you care about. And this was no different for the king. He invited the people that he cared about specifically, namely Israel and its leaders. Now, 
with this invitation. It was a uh, culturally a verbal invitation. We do things a little bit differently now, right? We have wedding invitations. Who's ever created a wedding invitation? Yeah, there's a lot of detail, right? There's a lot of structure that goes into picking the right wedding invitation. Why? Because you want it to be beautiful and you want it to be powerful. You want it to tug on the heartstrings of the people that you're inviting that they say, man, this is attractive and I want to be a part of this powerful ceremony. See, the wedding invitation is the gospel and the Lord, he presents it both beautifully and powerfully for the same reason. He wants to tug on the heartstring so that people hear it and they receive it. They can't help but not receive it because it's so beautifully powerful. But though they were invited to this wedding, it says in verse three, they were not willing to come. Now, I get not wanting to go to certain weddings, right? There's many weddings that I haven't gone to, not because I didn't like the people. Most of the time it's because of travel and it being across the state in Florida and things like that. But I get there are different reasons, as we previously discussed, why you wouldn't want to go to a certain wedding. But this is the king's son's wedding. Like, this is a royal wedding. This isn't a wedding that you want to miss. This is like the best wedding you're ever going to get invited to. Okay, it'd be like if a celebrity had a wedding and they just invited you to it. You're not going to really decline that invitation. Why? Because you know it's going to be an awesome experience. Yeah, see, the Lord, he was providing this awesome experience for the people, but they weren't willing to go. This illustrates the hearts of the religious leaders. See, God had something so grand, something so beautiful for them, and they declined it. And it doesn't even really make sense why they declined it. But we see their reason for declining it. It's a couple things. The first time, it says because they were not willing their lack of willingness is literally going to rob them of the experience and opportunity of eternal life. Now, most of you, if not all of you, have likely accepted the king's invitation in the sense that you accepted the gospel. But it's not just about the gospel and that invitation. See, the Lord invites us to do things all the time. The Lord sends invitations our way, if you will, all the time. And it could be an invitation to fellowship with some other believers. It could be an invitation to, to seek Him on a deeper level. It could be an invitation to get more serious with your devotion life. It could be an invitation to pray more. Maybe to pray with the body more. Maybe to take some more, uh, take advantage of the opportunities that are being presented for you at this church. And I'm not talking about declining my invitations. I'm talking about declining the Lord's invitation. See, their willingness robbed them of an amazing experience. Not just an experience, eternal life. What will your lack of willingness rob you of? See, Matthew chapter 22, picking it up in verse 4. Again, he sent out other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. Though they declined the invitation, the king invites them again. Now, culturally, we have to understand that typically it would go like this. When you were going to have a wedding, say, you know, you got it, you, you, you proposed and you worked out the dowry with the father. And there's a lot of details to all this culturally. Uh, but basically what would happen is, hey, everybody, we're going to have a wedding. OK, we're going to get married and it might be a year from now. Uh, uh, whenever it is. But then as you start to work out the details and make the plan, 
You figure out the date of the wedding. So you would send out people to invite them again the second time. Hey, we're going to have a wedding, uh, but I want you to know the details. So there was the first invitation, and then there was the second invitation once the date was set. But we have to remember in context the response of the first invitation. The response of the first invitation was declined, right? But the king so badly wants these people to come to his wedding that he invites them again. Now think about this. I want you to think about this practically. Those of you that are married, and even if you're not married, you can imagine this. Think about sending out invitations to your wedding and no one RSVPs, okay? Nobody says they're coming. And so then you send out second invitations to the same people that already declined you. Like this is what that would be like. Think about that. That's, that's humility right there. That, that's desperation. Like you desperately want these people to come to your wedding, right? It's even costly. Wedding invitations are pretty expensive, especially when you're inviting a hundred or more people to your wedding. Those wedding invitations cost something. See, this reveals something about our king. This is the humility of the king. Despite the cost, he desperately wants all people to be saved. He's okay to humble himself. He's okay to look desperate because that's how much he loves his creation. That's how much he's willing to do whatever it takes to bring people unto salvation. Now for us, it might cost a little money to buy that extra invitation. For Jesus, it cost him his life. And it says, verse 4, He sends out the second invitation, if you will, sends out his servants to invite them again. See, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. The fatted calf was like the best thing that you could possibly have. See, the king is giving his people the best, his best. He's not just giving them the scraps. He's prepared the best for his people. And he prepared it all. The people had to do nothing. It's not like they had to bring a side dish or had to contribute to this wedding feast. No, the Lord did all of it. The Lord prepared it perfectly. In John chapter 14, if you would with me, we see the Lord is preparing something for us as well. In John chapter 14, verse 2, says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. See, the Lord, he's going to prepare a place for us. That's what he's doing right now. But he's not just preparing a place. He's preparing a feast. Hence, marriage supper of the Lamb. Now, I want you to think, like, how how can we understand the, the greatness of this feast that the Lord's preparing for us? Imagine what Jesus is cooking up for us. Like, you might think filet mignon with a side of lobster is like the greatest thing ever, but it's going to taste like dog food compared to the feast that the Lord has for us. He has something so much greater than we can ever experience in this world, and that's what he's doing right now. He's preparing the place. He's preparing the feast. We can only imagine how great this feast must be. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 5. But they made light of it and went their ways into his own farm, one to his own farm, another to his business. 
They didn't take the invitation seriously. They didn't have a desire to go. So it says they chose their own way. They went their way instead of choosing God's way. Point number one, choose God's way or your own way. Choose God's way or your own way. The Bible talks about the way of man. And in Proverbs chapter 14, I'll read it for you. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 2 says this. Sorry, verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Our way, what we think is the right way, it leads to death. But the Lord's way, it leads to life. When we reject God's invitation to the way of life, we're ultimately choosing the way of death. Look what it says here, Matthew chapter 22. Uh, We look at the different excuses. One went to his own farm in verse 5, another to his business. So because they're focused on their own work, They're missing out on God's invitation. They're missing out on this wedding feast. See, they were self-serving. They were self-consumed. They were worried about what they had to do and not worried about what God wanted for them. Are your plans more important than God's plans? Now we think about that question like, duh, God's plans are more important. And you might say that with your lips, but what does your life say? Do you live that out that God's plan is more important than my plan? See, if my plan contradicts God's plan, I got to say, no, not my plan, not my will, but your will be done. See, we can come up with many excuses not to walk God's way and go our own way, right? Could be our busy schedules, yeah? Our jobs, our careers, could even be family, friends, hobbies. It could be anything. And we say, no, God, not your way today, my way. Not your way in this moment. I'm going to do things my way. But when we're choosing to do things our way, we're robbing ourselves of the feast that the Lord wants for us. He's invited us to this feast. But when we choose our own way, ultimately we're settling for scraps. We're settling for something less. And His way, see, His way is perfect. In fact, in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says just that. In other words, the will of God, it's perfect. It's pleasing. It's acceptable. But how do we experience that perfect will of God? Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. If we want to experience His perfect will, then we need to walk in His perfect way. And that's in the person of Jesus Christ. This verse, John 14, verse 6, there's so much here and just so many, so few of words. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. These, these, this really answers every question, the main questions if you will, that each human being asks themselves about their purpose on earth, why they were here. Look at this. Uh, The way, yeah, Jesus, he answers the question to, how do I, what's the way to live in this world? The truth, uh, what's the truth of this world? What's my purpose in this world? The life, how do I experience abundant life? How do I experience happy life? How do I experience joy-filled life? All these questions are answered in the person of Jesus. But when we choose a different way, when we choose a different path, when we choose a way contrary to God's way, we're settling for something less than a feast. We're settling something less for something less than abundant life or fullness of life. If we want God's feast, 
We have to do it God's way. If we're okay with the scraps, then choose your own way. But these Pharisees, Jesus is communicating this parable to get to their heart so that they might recognize they haven't, they didn't choose God's way. They've chosen their own way. Matthew chapter 22, verse 6. And the rest seized his servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. Like, imagine this. (laughs) You send out wedding invitations and like, (laughs) all the servants you send out, they're killed. Like, come on. Like, this is crazy, right? You think about this. You just got invited to a wedding. Why why are they killing them? You probably wouldn't invite them the next time, yeah? Uh, But we, but what we know here, this is more than a wedding invitation. This is again, a representation of how God has been sending servants Hence the prophets, later the apostles, to people throughout history, even now, to get a message across. To invite them to embrace the salvation message. To recognize their need for a Savior and accept the sacrifice that He provided. So Jesus is basically communicating to them, Hey, you're going to do exactly what your fathers before you did. Just as they killed the prophets, you're going to kill the apostles. It's the same group. Matthew chapter 22 Verse 7, but when the king heard about it, he was furious and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Now, the king, he's furious, but we got to understand really why he's furious. Okay, yes, uh, he's furious because he was disrespected. He's furious because his son was disrespected. But even more than that, He's furious because of the decision that they're making. He's furious about the choice that they're making, the results, the consequences of this choice. He's angry because he's sad for them and what they're going to lose by not coming to this feast. So it says he sends out armies to destroy those murderers. Now we can look at this and say, man, that's rough. Don't go to God's wedding and and, and you're going to get destroyed. Well, there's truth to that, but we have to remember God isn't necessarily bringing judgment on these people these people are bringing judgment on themselves what do i mean he invited them to not have to deal with this he he gave them a peace offering you will he invited them to embrace grace and they declined they denied see you can't have peace without the prince of peace and if you don't accept the peace offering that the peace uh, prince of peace is inviting you to experience then basically you're choosing wrath for yourselves and that's what happened with these men and it says in verse 9 sorry uh sorry verse 7 it says and burned up their city okay this is also prophetic We have to remember where Jesus is right now. He's in Jerusalem. Okay, this is something that's happened in the past through Nebuchadnezzar and the uh, the Babylonians, but this is also something that's going to happen in the future. See, God is going to use the Romans to destroy Jerusalem in 70 AD. The temple is going to be destroyed. And before that, there was already destruction going on. So this is also a prophetic warning that Jesus is trying to get across to these people. This is all going to happen because they didn't accept the king of their kingdom. Matthew chapter 22, verse 8. Then he said to his servants, the wedding is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. The people that were invited weren't worthy because they didn't recognize their need to come to the wedding. They didn't recognize their need for the Savior. What makes us worthy is recognizing our need for Jesus. It's not about what we do. It's about the relationship that we have with the Lord. Matthew chapter 22, verse 9. Therefore... 
go into the highways, and as many as you find, invite to the wedding. He's saying, just go everywhere. Okay, I'm sending out servants, go everywhere, go to all nations and preach the gospel. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they act like. All tongues, tribes and nations, go to the highways, go to the byways, wherever you can find people, invite them to this wedding. This is the gospel. All are invited to attend this wedding, but... Each individual has to make their own choice if they want to accept, if they want to receive this invitation. Matthew chapter 22, verse 10. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. This expresses the grace of the gospel. None of these people were deserving to come to the wedding, okay? None of them were worthy, if you will, to come to the wedding. It's not something that they did. It's not some title that they had. They were literally invited by grace. That's the same for the invitation to the gospel. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's, it's by grace that we're saved. That's unmerited, unearned favor from God. It's not about works. It's not about what we do. It's about receiving Him by faith. It's a free gift. Quite frankly, none of us should be invited to this wedding. Honestly. None of us should be invited to this wedding feast, but because of the grace of God, he invites anyone and everyone that's willing to hear the message. And look what it says about these people that come, both good and bad. It doesn't matter if you're considered good or you're considered bad, meaning complete ends of the spectrum. Okay, it doesn't matter if uh, if 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 you came out of the womb speaking in tongues Okay, and you've just been following the Lord your whole life, or or you're a mass murderer, literally. The Lord's forgiveness, it, it, it's, it's unimaginable. The Lord's forgiveness, the Lord's grace, it's so great, it's so big, it's so incomprehensible that it covers all of it. It covers anything and everything that anyone has ever done if we're willing to respond to the invitation. So it says in verse uh <clears throat> Verse 10, so good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Jesus is going to get his wedding celebration one way or another. People are coming to this wedding. Okay, If the first invitees don't come, then these other people are going to come. The wedding hall will be filled. The religious leaders, they didn't accept the wedding invitation, so he invited who? The beggars, the tax collectors, the sinners, the prostitutes, harlots, all these different groups of people that you would never think would be at this wedding. Those are the people he invited. He invited who? The humble. Why? Point number two, the humble recognize their hunger. The humble recognize their hunger. (laughs) See, Prideful people don't need a feast because they're full of themselves. But the humble, 
They recognize their hunger. If you offer food to someone that hasn't had food, what are they going to do? They're going to take it. The, the humble people, they're hungry for any extra meal they can get. You're having a feast? I got nothing. Yeah, I'll come to that feast. And this expresses the heart of the Lord for the specific people. That he was inviting to this wedding. Yes, he invited all, but the people that responded were the humble people. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it says this. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or in other words, blessed are the humble. Blessed are those that recognize their spirit is poor or it's lacking and they have need. They have wants. They recognize their need for a savior. These are the people that are going to enter into the kingdom. These are the people that will be at the wedding supper of the Lamb. Matthew chapter 22, verse 11. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there who did not have on a wedding garment. So there's this man that is here at this wedding feast, but he doesn't have on the right clothes. Now, this man likely represents one or two things. I think it can be both. We'll talk about both. Okay, uh, the self-righteous Pharisee, okay, clothed when, in his own garments. You'll understand this a little better. Uh, but also uh, the unchanged Christian, meaning those that responded to the invitation. But did they really respond to the invitation? Meaning they still look the same. They, they haven't changed. Yes, they tried to accept the invitation, but nothing has played out in their life. There, there is no fruit. I believe this man represents both of these groups. Some commentators uh, suggest that uh, this is more about the Greek culture than the Jewish culture. So we don't know if this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. But they would uh, basically kings would provide the garments for the attendees of the wedding. I mean, you don't have to worry about your own dress, or your own gown. The king's going to provide that for you. Uh, in other words, this guy wasn't wearing the garments that the king provided, though culturally Jewish culture. Eh, could have done it, maybe not. We do see a truth regarding this in Scripture. If you look at Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 61, in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10, says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So we see what's being communicated here is this relationship between God and his people. As the bridegroom marries the bride, he clothes her with these garments this guy in Matthew 22, he's not wearing the right garments. So either you're clothed with the Lord's garments or you're clothed with your own garments. Point number three, be clothed in his garments or your own garments. Be clothed in his, clothed in his garments or your own garments. Now, I'm not saying everybody needs to start coming to the church dressing like Jesus and the apostles, okay? That's not what I'm talking about here. We're speaking spiritually because that's the context by which the Lord is speaking. See, it's important that we're clothed in his garments. If we're not wearing the king's garments, then we can't sit at his table. This guy, we're going to see what happens to him. He ends up getting judged. But when you consider 
the invitation into this wedding ceremony, we got to be wearing the right clothes. We can't be clothed with our clothes, meaning our righteousness. We must be clothed with the Lord's righteousness. The, the Bible has a lot to say about our righteousness. In Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it says this, Our righteousness is like filthy rags. Okay, Many of you know what that means. I won't get into it right now. But our righteousness is is filthy. Okay, it's dirty compared to the righteousness of God. It it doesn't stand. It can't possibly stand. But the good news is, is the Lord is more than willing to give us his garments. He's more than willing to clothe us with that righteous robe to to dress us in. What is a bride wear? A white gown, right? To dress us in that white, that purity. Let me show you in Zechariah. In Zechariah chapter 3, context is uh, regarding this high priest that was um, the high priest at the time that uh, Israel went back to build the temple during the reign of Persia. In Zechariah chapter 3 verse 4, Then he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Take away the filthy garments from him. They're speaking about a high priest named Joshua, saying, Take away his filthy garments. And to him he said, see, I have removed your iniquity from you. We see the connection between the garments and sin. Okay, And I will clothe you with rich robes. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and they put the clothes on him. And the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord is Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. So the high priest needed to be purified. He needed to put away his old garments and put on his new garments. And those garments were given to him by the Lord. If the high priest needs to be purified, then how much more do we? We can't wear our own clothes, our own righteousness. There's no confidence in that. We can only be confident in the Lord's garments, in the Lord's righteousness. But, as I said, I don't believe this just represents a self-righteous Pharisee. Uh, remember, this guy, he has responded to the invitation. He's just wearing the long, wrong clothes. So this is likely also both, both make sense, uh, the unchanged Christian, as I said. Jesus describes this type of unchanged Christian in Revelation chapter 3. He's speaking to the church of Sardis, but, uh, but this also represents anyone and everyone that can relate to this. Let me read it for you. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God, And the seven stars, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Think about this. Do you bear the name Christian, which literally means little Christ. We've talked about this before. Meaning, uh, I look like Jesus in a sense. I'm trying to mimic him. I'm trying to walk like him. I'm trying to talk like him. Do you bear the name Christian, but are you dead? That's what he's saying here. The unchanged Christian. It's a dead man walking. If that's you and you can relate to that, then it's time to come alive. And Jesus, Jesus can call you out of the grave. He can bring you back to life. We see him do it several times. One time in John chapter 11, if you will, his good buddy Lazarus had died. He'd been dead for four days. No one comes back after being dead for four days unless the Lord intervenes somehow, some way. And that's exactly what he does here. In John chapter 11, verse 43 
Now, now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes. On his face was wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. See, the Lord will call us out of the grave, just like he did with Lazarus. He called him out of the grave, but what was left? He was still wearing his grave clothes. Okay? It's a picture of us. Yeah, maybe we've been awakened. Maybe he's brought us back to life, but we're still wearing the dead man's clothes. Meaning we're still putting on the old man. We're still falling back into the things that, that we repented of so long ago. It's time. It's time to take off the grave clothes. Though he was alive, he was still bound. He was stuck in these clothes. He needed to be delivered from these clothes so that he could experience the abundance of life that the Lord desired for him. Ultimately, it's not even just about taking off the grave clothes. It's about putting on new clothes, as we discussed. It's about putting on the righteousness of Christ. In Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says just that. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, put on his character, mimic him, imitate him, do the things that he did, that we see him doing in the scriptures, be led by him. Now, after this man's confronted, Look what happens in verse 12. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. This guy wearing the wrong clothes. He had nothing to say. There was nothing that he could say. See, when we're faced with the righteousness of the king, our self-righteousness has no case. There's no case for our self-righteousness. I don't know how I got in here, but... He has nothing. No excuses are going to stand when we stand before the king. Not only self-righteousness, but again, speaking of the unchanged Christian, he says in Matthew chapter 7, uh, verses 21 to 23, he says, many are going to come to me in that day and say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, I never knew you depart from me right? It's like, whoa, that's one of the scariest verses in scripture. It's like, there's going to be people that call him Lord. And he says, I never knew you. What does that mean? You call me Lord, but you don't treat me like your Lord. And, and that's the part piece of the gospel that I think goes missing. We accept this invitation of grace through faith. And that's very true. But one thing we're doing in uh, confessing that we believe in Jesus Christ is that we're confessing his lordship. If we confess his lordship and we're walking in that being obedient to him, inevitably there's going to be change. If we receive the invitation of the gospel and we're still wearing the grave clothes, there's a problem. If we receive the invitation and there's not change, there's not growth, that's a problem. That's an issue and that's what the Lord is communicating here. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, he says, uh, you'll know them by their fruits, or in other words, character. You'll know who they are uh, based on what they do, how they live, how they act. But false Christianity, dead men walking, saying that's not, that's not the people that are getting in. Look what he says in the next verse, Matthew chapter 22, verse 12. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, 
This is the ultimate consequence for either rejecting the invitation of the gospel or accepting it, but not conforming to it. And he says, you'll be cast out into outer darkness. Last point, point number four, choose Jesus or outer darkness, choose Jesus or outer darkness. We can't have both. It's one or the other. Why? Because in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Okay, To be apart from the light of the world is to be in darkness. Look what else he says in verse 12. I'll read it for you. He says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He's not only the light, but he's also the life. To not have Jesus is to be in darkness and ultimately be dead in our sins. Now we look at this and say, man, just because this guy wore the wrong clothes, he's getting sent into outer darkness. But it's not that God sends people to outer darkness or that God sends people to hell. It's that hell is a place where God doesn't dwell and people ultimately they're making a decision on earth here and now. I want a relationship with God or I don't want a relationship with God. But some don't understand when we make that decision on earth, it's an eternal decision. If I choose not to have a relationship with God here and I die and I don't get the chance to accept him before I die, then that's an eternal decision. The Lord, he's just given us what we want. You don't want me now? Well, you're not going to get me then. It's not that he's sending people to hell. People send themselves to hell. People send themselves to outer darkness by not accepting the invitation or conforming to the invitation, if you will. That's exactly what hell is. Hell is the absence of relationship with God. It's dark because the light of the world is not there. And without God, without the light, nothing's good. Okay, Because God is good. And without God, everything is evil. And this is really, in other words, what hell is. A lot more to that. But if you would with me, Connecting back to this wedding feast in Matthew chapter, sorry, Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19, we discussed uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb, right? Between Jesus Christ and his bride. Right after this, we're going to see the battle of Armageddon. And basically, Jesus is going to come with 10,000 of his saints. And he's going to wipe out all the armies that are coming against Israel. And and, and we're going to see the... Um, Antichrist and the false prophet burned in the lake of fire. All these different things happen. But if you would with me, look at Matt, uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse 21. And the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. There's going to be two feasts at the end of time after the tribulation. Either we're eating with the Son of God in the marriage supper or of the Lamb, or we're being eaten by the birds. We got no choice. We're going to be in one of those feasts. So we can be eating or be eaten. It's one or the other. Matthew chapter 22, verse 14. We're close here. It says, For many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. We have to understand context. Who is called? Anyone and everyone that the servants could interact with. He called everyone that was within hearing voice of the invitation. But not everyone that called responded to the invitation. The ones that are chosen 
are the ones that respond. The ones that are chosen are the ones that choose God back. Yes, many are called, few are chosen. That doesn't mean that God's like, no, I want you, but I don't want you. It's mean I'm calling all of you, but if you don't choose me, that means you're not chosen. We see the sovereignty of God and responsibility of man meet here. But we see both sides. It wasn't that God wasn't inviting people. It wasn't just that he invited some people and not other people. They invited everyone they could come in contact with. And those that are chosen, again, are those that chose God back to come to the wedding. See, these religious leaders, they had rejected the king's invitation. This invitation, it's not just to a wedding feast. It was to eternal life. And that's what the Lord's communicating. Now, I know many of you have been coming to this church for a while and many of you have accepted that invitation to the gospel. But if there's anyone here that hasn't, I just want to put it out there. If, if, if this kind of like got you like, man, uh, I'm not sure if I really if I really accepted this invitation, but I know I want to now or you even have questions about it, please. Uh, after service, after the last song, come up and talk to me or talk to someone. Uh, there'll be people up here, some different leaders. Uh, there'll be um, uh, whoever you want to talk to. Just come up. We'll have that conversation and we'll help you understand what this invitation is really all about. I'll tell you this. There's many times that I came to church when I wasn't saved, okay? And and I would hear these invitations and I would reject them. Like, I don't believe this stuff. Like, I'm not doing this. I'm not responding to this thing. And I always said, well, I'd rather continue what I'm doing, living in my sin, using drugs, uh, sleeping around, doing all these different things. I'd rather do that and I don't want to give that up. I'll wait for tomorrow. Not really tomorrow, but like when I said tomorrow, like 10 years from now. But I'll tell you this. I've never met a Christian in my life that said, I wish I would have accepted God later in life. Every single one I meet says, I wish I would have understood this sooner. I wish I would have received this invitation. I would have accepted him earlier. So I'd encourage you, if that's you, please come up after service. We can talk, we can pray, and we can start that relationship now. But those of you that have received the king's invitation, if you will, We see here that he was inviting people to a feast. Now, we can look at this and understand, yeah, the marriage supper of the Lamb, that's going to happen at the end of time. But the reality of it is the Lord is inviting us to a feast daily. He's inviting us to feast with him daily. Now, that invitation, again, it could look like, man, I really, I know the Lord's putting on my heart to get serious, more serious with my devotion life, more serious with my prayer life, to to take advantage of that fellowship opportunity or that Bible study or that time of prayer, whatever it may be, the Lord is inviting us to do things with him constantly. But are we rejecting those invitations? He stirs our heart because he wants us to seek him and and have that feast with him, to be in fellowship with him. But we got to respond to the invitation. We could, like the religious leaders, come up with all the excuses in the world. I got to work today. I, I, I got this. Uh, I, I got this thing in my schedule that's a conflict. Uh, I, I have this other thing that I wanted to do, whether it was a hobby or whatever it may be. We can come up with a million excuses to not embrace the Lord's invitations on a daily basis, but none of them are good enough because the invitation to intimacy is the most important thing that we'll ever do uh, in this life: is seek the Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'll end with this. Last question. 
Will you thrive off the feast this week or will you simply survive off the scraps? It's one or the other. We can thrive off the feast or we can simply survive on the scraps. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for, for how much you love us that you're inviting us um, to, to not just be a part of this uh, marriage supper, Lord, but to be in fellowship with you now. God, we know that you want us to experience uh, life and life more abundantly, and I pray that we would um, abide in you and, and, and choose you, choose fellowship with you, choose to invite, uh, respond to the little inv- invitations you have for us on a daily basis, and through that, Lord, we would be full. We would be full of goodness. We would be full of joy and happiness and peace and love because we know that's what you desire for your children. Lord, so help us to uh, respond to those invitations this week. In your name, amen.